Hello and welcome to the Brave Marketing Podcast with your host Swapna Thomas. This is the podcast for the renegades, the trailblazing leaders and the change makers who don't just have a business, it's your calling. Those of you who want to make a difference and make money but all on your own terms. I'm on a mission to show as many life coaches as possible how you can have more income, more impact and infinitely more fun by being unapologetically and bravely you and breaking all the rules. I have created five figure months with no paid ads, a tiny list and zero complicated sales funnels. Simplifying marketing and teaching you how to use it for good in the world is my zone of genius. With this podcast, I'm here to share weekly episodes on the soul and the strategy of marketing, mindset, money and everything online business. Let's dive into today's episode. Today, I'm so excited to have another incredible client of mine on the podcast and she's also a friend now. Um, Emma Pollitt. She is here as a guest on the Brave Marketing Podcast. After years of having her self-esteem battered by the Corporate Boys Club while dealing with stage four endometriosis, Emma ditched her six-figure corporate career in Sydney and moved to moved to Albany, Western Australia in 2012 to start her multi-passionate business. Emma is a personal trainer, a yoga teacher, Reiki master, and the creator of the Certified Body Love Coach Program, the Body Love Academy. As she likes to say, she is a woman with a big belly and a big heart, and she is on a mission to help women ditch diet culture, make peace with food and exercise, and to start treating their bodies with respect. Emma has worked with me in many different ways over the last few years and is currently a private coaching client and she is an absolute dream client to work with. Welcome to the Beard Marketing Podcast, Emma. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. I'm so thrilled that you have a podcast, Swapna, finally. Yes, absolutely. And I forgot to mention it here, but Emma also has a podcast, The Big Bellied Yogi, right? That's the name of the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we will share the links in the show notes for that as well. Thank um, you. So everyone who comes on the podcast as a guest, I ask them what's one weird fun fact about you. And I have to start the fun fact that you shared with us. We have to start there because you shared that you were photographed nude for a national women's magazine, but you were completely covered in bubbles. I cannot, like, I sound like a pervert, but I cannot get that image out of my head. <laughs> and I want to know the story around it. Well, how did that happen? What was it for? And yeah, tell us, tell us the team. It happened a long time ago. So it was like 1999 or something like that. And a good girlfriend of mine, she was, um, a writer for this magazine that doesn't exist anymore. It was called New Woman Magazine. And they used to have a section every month that was about a real woman. And they were really finding it hard to find people. And over like too many drinks, I said, I'll do it. I, at the time I was working for a massive um, global cosmetics company and we just launched a new fragrance. 
So I'd received all this whole package of fragrance stuff for things for the bath and all that sort of stuff. And at the same time, I'd been invited out on a, I think it was a blind date around that same time. So we sort of concocted over a few drinks that my real woman's story could be, oh, because the topic was the last time I got naked. So we decided that my topic would be that I got all these beauty, beautiful beauty products and I had this amazing bath so that I could prepare for this date. And so she said she'd pitch it to her editor and, you know, this was just silly talk on a Friday night. And then on the Monday she rings me and she goes, my editor loves it. You're in. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what have I done? Um, but I went, you know, I went along and my best girlfriend at the time, she came with me. And so the, the I was, you know, professionally photographed in a bath and my girlfriend had to make bubbles out of dishwashing detergent so that it would be really bubbly. Um, I, I had a female photographer. There was a male there. He was the photographer's assi- assistant, but he wasn't allowed in the room. So it was really sort of done in a protective kind of way. Um, and yeah, so I was photographed in this bath. You have no idea how much makeup they put on you to look like a normal person in a magazine. Like I just had inches and inches of makeup on. And, yeah, and then the photo a couple of months later turned up in the magazine. So, yeah, that was a weird experience that I never thought I would do, but it was fun. Yeah. And can I also share that now Emma has been sober for how how, how long have you been sober for? Since January 2021. So it's um, coming up to 19 months or something like that. Yeah. So I want to sort of pivot into your work because your work is, I feel it is one of the most important things that we need to talk about, which is the diet culture and ditching the diet culture and the anti-diet movement. Um, so I want to know, because one another thing I asked you was, what's the greatest thing that you have done? in your life or in your business and you shared that it was quitting your corporate career and moving to a new town to start your business which I feel was the health coaching business that you had right and from there and I and I because I know so much of your story I know how obsessed you were with health and fitness um, from there having this journey of self-exploration and self-awareness and coming to a point where you are now leading this movement on anti-diet through your work, what has been your personal journey and, um, you know, now your professional journey with the diet culture? I was a privileged person growing up in that I always was like a normal size body or actually even sometimes like a thinner body. So even in my, I remember in my late teens, early 20s, people used to say, are you anorexic? So, you know, you you just can't get it right, can you? You're either too big or you're too small. But, um, you know, so I I had this thin privilege my whole life. I didn't have to think about the size of my body. But um, when I was, well, a couple of things. I've always had a bit of a belly. So when I was a child, like a very small child, my dad used to joke around and say, do you carry a watermelon in there? And it was supposed to be a joke. But even at three, I kind of knew that wasn't quite right. Um, and 
my dad's not here anymore, so he can't defend himself. But like he wasn't there. He wasn't saying that to be mean. But you know, we know now you don't really comment on people's bodies. We probably wouldn't do that to our kids nowadays. But anyway, um, then I did ballet for a long time, so it was always like pull in your belly, you know, tuck in your top, uh, tuck in your bottom. So like very aware of how our bodies looked in ballet. And then um, in my twenties, I remember my mum saying, and again, she meant this from a really beautiful place of love. She said, you should probably learn to pull your tummy in, in photos. (laughs) So, so um, that's the only thing my mum's ever said about my body, but you know, obviously that stuck with me because I sort of seem to have had this belly kind of theme going on through my life. But anyway, I I had a lot of thin privilege, but throughout my um, 30s, I sort of started to realise my body wasn't the same as it was in my 20s. And um, a few things went on. One was that I was dumped very suddenly via email from a long-term boyfriend that I thought he was the one. And he was overseas, so we we just I just never got closure on it. But I sort of stopped eating for a while, um, you know, not eating altogether, but I wasn't eating properly. And people around me, I lost a lot of weight really quickly, and people around me were saying, "Oh my God, you look amazing, Emma!" And it was the first time I'd made that connection that people admire you for having a certain type of body, and. Once I went back to eating normally, or I was probably in the phase of grief where I was eating, you know, <laughs> chocolate and ice cream to make myself feel better. Once my body started going back to the normal size, I sort of missed that feeling of people complimenting me on my body. And so I that's where I sort of started thinking about diet culture and noticing my size and weighing myself. But I also at the, that stage around that time in my life was when I discovered I had endometriosis. And so part of what I got along with the endometriosis was a lot of bloating, again, in the belly area. So I was really conscious of my tummy and how big it was. And I just really thought if I ate perfectly, I would have the perfect body, which would mean that someone would finally fall in love with me and that you know, if I ate perfectly as well, I would get rid of my endometriosis and, you know, I'd feel better. So I spent a really long time just focused on my weight and that included all the calorie counting. And, you know, if we go back to when I was a drinker, I used to like calorie count, but make sure I had enough calories left over so I could still drink wine every night. So it was completely, looking back on it, completely disordered because, that was my priority. You know what I mean? So I wasn't getting enough nutrients. I was tired all the time. I was cranky all the time. It it was a bit of a spiral, you know, like I felt bad because I'd been broken up with, but I felt bad because I didn't have enough food in my body. And I felt bad because I had endometriosis going on. So there was so much happening. And I got into boxing, like um, fitness boxing as another way of losing weight. And that's when I realized I loved that. And that's what made me decide to become a personal trainer. So I left Sydney. So that was the first step, I think, looking back on it now, leaving Sydney and leaving that corporate career was probably the first step on this journey. But I didn't know it back then because when I started studying to be a personal trainer and when I started studying to be a health coach, that is all completely steeped in diet culture. 
you know, you're really taught that the best way to be healthy is to lose weight and to be a certain size. So the first couple of years when I started my health coaching business, when I was studying to be a personal trainer and studying yoga, it was all about losing weight. And I really truly believed that if I could help women lose weight, I would help them be happier and I would help them to be more confident and I'd help them to be stronger. I really thought that loving your body was the best thing to do, but I've kind of moved away from that again because I feel like body love in the world we live in is a bit of, it's a kind of toxic positivity. It's like you can't possibly love your body every day. So in the same way that diets set you up for failure because you can't lose weight in the long term using a diet, most people can't, like 95% of people can't, the same thing. You can't love your body authentically as well. So that's where I've come to the middle ground, which is kind of body respect, which is like look after your body, exercise it, eat well, you know, do all the right things in terms of caring for your body and also respect it even on those days that you don't necessarily love it. So that's that's the journey. Yeah. I can see so many parallels with business here because it's the same programming, right? Um, just like women are told that they're never enough. And it's the same for women who are really thin. They are also told that their bodies are not good enough because they don't have curves. Um, And women who have curves are told that they have too many curves, they are too much, right? And it's the same in business when we are operating from that patriarchal capitalist paradigm. Nothing we do is ever enough. And we constantly keep chasing the next goalpost and the next milestone. And it never feels enough. And I see so many people get obsessed. And I'm counting myself here and because I had had this phase where I was obsessed with tracking my numbers and, you know, the money coming in and every dollar has to be tracked. And it just it's the same like calorie counting. You just become obsessed with that and you forget what are you really here for and, you know, loving your business and loving your message and loving your clients. Um, So many parallels. And I I also completely agree with the whole toxic positivity culture, which, which is again, the same in business. We are told to constantly be positive, constantly have this high vibe energy that you cannot ever feel bad about yourselves you cannot ever numb your feelings you can never go on a Netflix binge just because you're feeling really sucky about your life Uh, you have to constantly vibrate on this high frequency which I think is total bullshit because no one can live like that right we are real human beings and to be able to feel our feelings and respect them you don't have to constantly love yourself but to just feel your feelings and not make them anything bad about yourself that these are feelings I have this is not who I am and having that differentiation is so important so I remember you telling me about your clients and one of the things that keep coming up is how much the diet culture sort of dominates their life right like there are women who have spent years and years of their lives just counting calories and looking at every food in through that lens of calorie so talk me through what happens what starts shifting for them 
when they start to ditch the diet culture, which I know is very, very difficult because everywhere you turn, the messaging is so strong. And even though now we are having all of these conversations around body positivity, um, you know, the, the damage of diet culture, and there is a lot more conversation around this, but still, and I, I know this personally for you, you get these comments uh, saying, stop promoting obesity, stop uh, talking about, you know, stop telling people that it's okay to be fat. So how do they, how do your clients start feeling when they are ditching the diet culture and they are finally learning to respect their bodies? Well, there's a couple of things. One is like even a physical thing where if you've been living in a chronic state of being on a diet for most of your life, you are probably not well nourished. You actually don't have enough food in your body to function correctly. So it's this weird thing where like people go, oh, I'm going to skip breakfast so that I'm not eating that meal. But then at three o'clock in the afternoon, they completely fade. And then the only thing that's available to them is a vending machine with full of chocolate. So that's what they eat in the afternoon. So then they feel like shit about themselves. And so then the next day they don't eat breakfast because they're trying to save the calories. But then by three o'clock in the afternoon, they're flagging and they're eating chocolate. Like it's this kind of constant little treadmill that you're on. Absolutely. So I think one of the big shifts is to actually get energy and to feel clarity maybe for the first time in years because they're actually able to get the food they require to live a proper life. Now, most diets, the diets that were very popular when I was in the depths of my diet culture were saying that you would have 1,200 calories a day. That's enough for like a five-year-old child. And I know five-year-olds are very like active and they're growing and all that stuff, but still a human being needs, you know, an adult human being needs a bit more than that. So, so a lot of women, that's one of the shifts they get is just that instant boost of energy and that instant like clarity because they're not, you know, starving anymore. And I, I don't use that word starving lightly. Like I know it's not the same as you know, people who have, you know, food insecurity and can't eat properly. But when you've been on 1200 calories a day for constant, you know, for years, you have been in a starvation mode anyway. So there's the physical thing, but then there's the whole, there's so many shifts because one of them is that diet culture. And I think it was Naomi Wolf who said this quite famously that like diet culture is, and I'm paraphrasing, is like one of the best tools to keep women obedient that has ever been invented because diet culture is full of this kind of, you know, rules that you're supposed to follow. And so one of the shifts that people have is they, they go, okay, so if I can actually eat whatever I want and I don't have to follow those, those rules, maybe there's some other rules I don't have to follow anymore. And that, and like food obviously is the most primal thing that we do is eat. Like without that, we don't live, right? So if you're being told like at the most primal level how you should live your life, of course you start to just follow rules in other areas. So that's one thing. Women start to see there's other ways they might be able to buck trends, you know, 
or stop doing what everyone else is doing. And then I think the third thing is just that I think so many women think I'll do this thing once I've lost this much weight, you know. And so one of my happiest things about what I do is watching women do the thing regardless of how big they are and then how much joy that brings them, how much confidence that brings them, you know, is just is just wonderful. So they're the three main shifts I would see. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And again, like I can't help but see the parallels in business. It's the same thing, right? You keep following the rules and you keep deferring your happiness for a certain income level. Like once I am at six figures, then I will feel like this. Then I will finally be happy. But that's not how it works. And it's the same thing. You are just following the rules and being the obedient good girl who is doing everything as she's supposed to be doing. And, it, you know, the goalpost just keeps moving for you to be happy and to live the best life that you can. So do the things that you want to do now. Feel feel how you want to feel about you now. There is no future perfect version of you out there. It's you right now. And I'm so glad that you're doing this work with women um, and just liberating them of this toxic diet culture and honestly I feel it's about food and it's about their bodies but it's about everything the just the way they live their life I think it cannot be that it's just limited to their food and their bodies I'm sure it has an amazing effect on their entire lives and uh like you're mentioning just the the fact that they're finally able to do the things that they have just future gatekeeping for some some perfect version of them right the bikini body version of them um that's that's amazing i'm so glad that you're doing this work um so let's talk a little bit about your business because for you to be doing this work has taken a lot of mindset work and a lot of messaging work as well. So let's talk about what was going on for you when we first started working together and what are some of the things that we've worked together on that have helped you step up in your messaging and be this really confident and clear person who knows who she's talking to and she knows what her clients need right now. I think that the main way that I started working with you, like I'd done some of your short courses and things, but I did your mastermind last year. And so that was in 2021. And um, 2020, and I know this is the same for lots of people, just shook my world like completely. So not only did COVID happen, but I had some a massive sort of um, medical diagnosis happen. So I'd been in and out of hospital at the same time, like in March, 2020. So that, that was when COVID was hitting as well. And, um, I'd had a, a friend who'd been a housemate and we hadn't, we'd had a falling out and it was just, all of that happened all at the same time. So 2020 really kind of shook my confidence. And I think a lot of people found that because, you know, my a lot of my business is in person yoga classes. I wasn't allowed to teach yoga classes, um, and I kind of realized I realized now looking back on it how much I identified my worth to my business. And so when my business kind of disappeared, so did my self worth. 
So when I started working with you, I was just in a complete state of, I don't know what I'm doing. I was in a state of like, I know what I'm good at. I know that I'm a really good health coach, personal trainer, yoga teacher. Like, And at that point last year, I think I was going to go, I was going to just be really yoga focused. I, for some reason, I thought that I had to completely reinvent the wheel. And so when I started working with you, I was in this really confused state and I was in the idea that I was going to completely reinvent the wheel. And I think the greatest thing that you've done for me, Swapna, is actually to give me space to work myself out, but with a container to support me to do that. So it doesn't make much sense, but, but one of the, but one of the things I love the most about working with you is um, the Voxer access, because I can have this kind of stream of, I live on my own. I don't have a partner. I don't have kids. So like, sometimes I'll wake up and I could have a day where I don't really talk to anyone except for my dog. And he's not really good at conversation. Like he's, <laughs> he's great <laughs> for company, but not for conversation. Um, so for me to be able to talk through stuff and I think I'm, I am a talker. I can, I can hear myself today. I can't st- stop talking, but um, I, I do enjoy journaling, but I think saying things is um, can be so powerful. So to have that available and I can talk to you, but I know you're going to respond as well, is has been a real game changer for me because I haven't had to work it all out in my head. And so what I found really interesting over this sort of like 12, just over 12 months, we've been working together quite closely is that I have kind of almost come, almost come back full circle to where I was before COVID, except, except I'm not doing body love stuff. It's morphed into body respect. So I think the other influence you have that I really appreciate about you is that I love how you have this real feminist side of your business. And so I think you've helped me create this more activist approach and it's a more feminist approach to what I was doing two years ago. So you've sort of helped me, A, know where my strengths lie, but B, help me get to the message that actually resonates with me most, which is that kind of activism side as well. And and that is something I am very passionate about. That is what fires me up to show up in my business. I feel like I'm a midwife of movements. I help people birth their movements and really get clear about them. And um, and for me, it's very, very important that my client finds their own way of doing business. I don't want to teach anyone how I run my business. Of course, there are lessons and takeaways and, you know, ideas that I share with them all the time. But I really want them to find their own rhythm, their own way of doing whatever the hell they want to do. And because I don't really work with business coaches a lot, I work with health coaches, life coaches. Um, One of my clients is a cake coach. So there is no way that they can just take my business model and clone that for their businesses. So it is that holding space for them to be able to figure out what they want to create is so important for me, even though it might take some time. And, you know, I, and I know there are coaches who sort of promote this quick, um, quick fix strategy where you just take my business and replicate it. 
take take my business model replicate it in your business and you're going to make money and sometimes people do make money as well doing that but eventually if it's not 100% aligned to who they are and how they want to show up in their business it does not work it will end up burning them out and it will really i i see so many people feeling a lot of resentment towards coaching right now and a complete cynicism about uh, especially towards business coaches and i think that it comes from this space where they were pushed to follow strategies and business models that were not really aligned to who they are and now they feel they don't know who they are because they they there's an identity crisis right because they were just trying to be what their coach was telling them to be so i just want to take you back one moment to that specificity in your messaging because that was something that kind of frustrated you for a while um because i kept asking you to work on this one person on talk to this one person and i know that it that that can be hard for a lot of people um but right now when i see your post i get literal goosebumps because it feels so specific it feels like you are in the head of your client you know what they're thinking you precisely know what's going on for them and a lot of people struggle with this when it comes to their messaging that they feel if they narrow their focus uh they're going to leave money on the table but for me it feels like if you are speaking to everyone you're leaving money on the table um so do you want to just talk to that a little bit what was the process like that for you um and how did you shift your mindset around getting narrower and narrower in your messaging but still knowing that you're you're speaking to a very big audience well i think to be honest that idea of being really specific has I've been told that by every single coach I've ever had anything to do with. And so, you know, like with marketing it says, you know, they say people need to see a message up to 16 times before they'll take action. <laughs> I think I think it was really honestly Swapna that I'd heard it so many times and you told me it so many times that it, the message finally sunk in. It's simple as that. So again, it's another one of those messages that you can use in business as well. We think, oh, if I post about something three times, people are going to be annoyed about about it. No, no, people need to hear your message heaps of times before they'll do anything. So it was that. And um, the other thing was that I recently took on a. Well, no, there's two things. One was that I stopped working, and I. I do regularly have part-time jobs because I am single and and I you know there's no other income sometimes it feels better to me to most of the time to have another job so that I can have stability with income so that then I don't have to be grasping and desperate in my business you know I can do it in it from a more relaxed place but but I had quit a job earlier this year and I had about 3 or 4 months where I didn't really work much I had a very casual job and so i think part of it was having so much time to let that marinate like i didn't have as <laughs> i honestly didn't have as much going on in my head so i had more time for it i think in the past because you know this like all of us i just had so much going on it was just it felt too hard and it felt like i don't know it just i didn't have the brain space for it so 
I had the brain space for it for quite a few months, which I felt really good. And then I've just recently got another six month contract as another part-time job. And I think it kind of all sunk in that if I have a very specific person that I'm talking to in mind, it actually saves me a lot of time when it comes to my content as well, because I just have to write to one person. So I think it was all of that combined. Yeah, that's literally what I do. And that's literally what I tell every single client is to think about one person. And it it can sometimes be one client. And sometimes it can be sort of like an amalgamation of a couple of clients. And sometimes it's just me, I'm speaking to a previous version of me. And I just think about what do they need to hear from me today? What does she need to hear from me today? And that's my content. So, I lo- and, I, and I completely agree that that space, giving yourself that space and that time to marinate um, is so important. Like this is, not, this is not something that you can just churn out. Sometimes it just happens like that, but sometimes it takes a little bit of time to um, really refine it and feel like, you know, that you own that message now. And it's all okay. Like whether it happens quickly, whether it takes some time, it's all fine because it's all working. Your message doesn't need to be perfect for it to be working. And you can still get clients even when you're tweaking your message and when you're still tinkering with it a little bit. But um, it's not a one and done approach for sure. Yeah. And I I was listening to a different podcast, totally unrelated um, to my business or your business. It's called Conspirituality and it's just a bit how in the world we live in at the moment, a lot of the really spiritual people in the world have gotten quite caught up in a lot of this, this conspiracy theories that are going around in the world. It's very fascinating. And they were in, they were talking to a woman who's just written a book about the wellness industry and how in some aspects of the wellness industry, it's, well, I guess it is, it's kind of quite toxic. And she said that she really had to think hard about it how to write this book and that she really should write it from her personal perspective because then she's not saying if you do it this way, it'll work for you because what what she's saying is this is how it worked for me. And I think that really resonated with me. So just in the last few weeks on Facebook, I've sort of returned to Facebook recently with um, my business is that I'm really writing things from my what's happened to me or what I've learned from my experiences. And that seems to be really resonating with my audience. Yeah. And that that storytelling, that part of uh, sharing your story just makes everything so much more impactful. That will never go away. Storytelling is, again, it's a primal thing for us humans. That's how our you know, humanity has evolved telling stories to each other. Uh, And that was the recorded history for the longest time. So bringing that into your content and your marketing is always going to be so much more impactful. Um, Emma, you're also a multi-passionate. So you have different interests in your life. And like you mentioned, you also have a part-time job. So doing all of the things that you do, how do you make rest and self-care a priority? Because that is also a very big part of your message is to prioritize rest and self-care. So how do you do that for yourself? I have a regular counselling session with my counsellor this morning and I was talking to him about that, how now that I'm back at work, how my house isn't as tight as it was or my 
I haven't been eating as well as I would like to. And what I have understood about myself over the last few months that I have when I wasn't working as much is that I've really learned to go with the flow. I totally believe, and sorry if this is going to upset people, but I don't think you can have work-life balance. Like I think like everything's, something's always out of balance. And if you're trying to make everything balance, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a kind of adjacent to diet culture. Like it's just never going to actually happen. You think it will, but it won't. So I've just learned that I can handle, totally handle having dishes sitting in the sink. If it means that I can read my book for half an hour when I need a rest, you know what I mean? Um, I'm totally okay with the floor being vacuumed tomorrow instead of today. If that means I get to rest. Um, I'm really okay with maybe not posting something on my socials today because I got caught up at work and I'd prefer to eat something healthy tonight. You know what I mean? So like I've just really gotten to be okay with not being perfect. And again, like as we talked about towards the beginning, I think that's totally and utterly related to my having ditched diet culture and having not no longer expect my body to look a certain way because it's, you know, you don't have to have everything perfect and lined up in a row. Um, the most important thing I think is your mental health. And I think rest and, and downtime is, and self-care is the most important thing for your mental health. So that, that yeah. is also why you're glowing all the time. I see your pictures and you're glowing so much yeah. because you're, you're literally walking your dog. You're doing exactly what you teach your clients. Yeah. Um, okay, just to just taking a segue here, because you have this whole other business where you help Gen Xers like me crack the Instagram code and you are amazing at reels um, because you do so many of them and I, your concepts are so good. So is there anything that you have learned by just creating the sheer number of reels that you have created? And I know you've taken a bit of pause right now because you're focusing on Facebook but even so is there something that you feel you have learned by just creating so many reels? One of the main reasons that I create reels is I think there needs to be more Gen X's on Instagram. I just don't think we see enough of our faces on there like it's uh, Gen X's are really good at hiding behind like a inspirational quote or a um, stock photo or something, but like I recently did an Instagram reels workshop for our local member of parliament in our town. And when I walked in to meet her, she goes, Oh, I follow you on Instagram. I feel like I know you. <laughs> and, and that happens to me all the time. I live in a fairly small town. I've only lived here for 10 years, which means that I'm not a local and I won't be for another 20 or 30 years. That's how we, um, that's how we are in my town. But it's like people know who I am because I put my face on camera all the time. So part of the reason I did it is almost like an act of defiance. It's like, why shouldn't women of my age be on Instagram? It doesn't have to just be for the young people. So, so that was one thing. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think people, again, like think, unless my reel looks perfect, I'm not going to post it. And, and the way Instagram is at the moment, that means you are missing out. You're just not going to be seen on Instagram unless you're doing reels. So you've either got to decide to pull on the big girl pants and do the reels 
or decide you're not doing Instagram. Honestly, that's that's the tough talk, but that's the way it is. So I think the I think the thing is, I, I was trying to remember what it was like to do Facebook lives at the beginning as well, because I used to do lots of lives and I I can't I can't remember what it felt like right at the beginning, but I know that I was, I used to stumble over my words and not not know what to say. And I look at my very first reel, which is still on my Instagram page. If you want to go and look for it, it's bad. You know what I mean? Like the first five or 10 reels are just crap, but I just kept practicing in them. They're just like anything else. You just got to keep practicing and um, have fun with it. They're supposed to be fun. They're not supposed to be really serious as well. So I think and again, I think the other thing is to take the number game out of it. Like if you're tracking, if you're doing it just for the numbers, then you're also doing it for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. You gotta have fun with it. And and I and I also think that eventually it all comes down to is there some sort of video in your business, right? Because people need to see your face. Um, as much as you know, I'm an introvert and I absolutely hate showing up on camera, <laughs> but I still feel showing up on video, whether it's on my stories, whether it's on my reels or any other form of live that I do, it's so, so, so important. Um, so yes, definitely. More of us Gen Xers need to be on Instagram and show our faces. So if you were to share You've already shared so many amazing lessons, but if you were to share three biggest lessons that you have learned from your journey till now, and that could really help someone who's feeling a bit stuck in their business or feeling that they are a little bit lost right now, what would they be? I think the first thing would be to get a coach. Getting a coach was always like, when I get to this level in my business, then I'll get a coach. But like, I realize now you don't get to that level of your business without a coach. And and if you're feeling lost, I think it's really hard to figure it all out on your own. So I really think getting a coach is really important. I think the second thing is to just really give yourself a break because your business is going to change and evolve. Like I used to really worry about the fact that I'm multi-passionate, that people around me would just think I'm a flake, like, because I'm always talking about something different or doing something different. But in fact, you know, well, I guess the people I've spoken to are people that are friends, but they all just say, nah, you just seem to know what you're talking about. So, you know, so don't worry about that. Like, just follow your gut and follow what feels fun and good at the time, I think is really important. And I think the third thing is that like you have to build in rest and self-care. Like you just have to. What's the point of choosing to work for yourself if you're going to be the worst boss you've ever had, you know? So, yeah, I think that's really important too. Yeah, I love it. And and that's, I think, something that all multi-passionates need to hear is that you don't have to find all of your passion in your business. It can be from a part-time job, it can be from your life, it can be a hobby, it can be in your relationships. So find passion and, you know, that that need for different things elsewhere and not just put all of that burden on your business that this is where I need to just do all the different things all the time. Um, if, if that is what who you naturally are and if that works for you, great. But I think a lot of people just put unnecessary pressure on themselves to just create a bunch of different offers and for all of them to work and end up burning themselves out like that. 
Thank you so much, Emma. This was an amazing conversation. I'm sure people are going to get so much out of this. Where can they find more about you if they want to stock you up on socials? Yes. Well, um, so you can follow my podcast, The Big Bellied Yogi, at like Spotify or wherever you can hear podcasts. I am on Instagram at the moment a little bit less than normal, but usually I'm there, Emma.Paulette. And then I'm also on Facebook a bit more at the moment. So I think it's Emma Paulette Coach or something like that, but you'll have a link, I'm sure, to find me on Facebook. We'll have all the links in the show notes, yeah. Also mention your other business, your Instagram business. Oh, yeah, so the the page is called Show Up on Insta, um, but Swapna very smartly coached me on that and said, you don't have to do much on Show Up on Insta because you're doing so much on your Emma Paulette page and it's true. So, yeah. yeah. So once more, thank you so much, Emma. This was amazing. I cannot wait for people to know more about you and I cannot wait to see what else are you going to do crushing the diet culture <laughs> in this, this world um, because we don't need, nobody needs that. That's the episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am thrilled to have you as part of the Brave Marketing community. Because this podcast is still brand new, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a five-star review as that will make it easy for other brave hearts to find this podcast and grow our community of rule breakers. Until next time, have a brave week ahead. Thank you.